Welcome to Technado. Welcome back to Technado. I'm your host, Sophie Goodwin, here as always with Don Pazette. Don, how are you today? Doing great, you know, uh, uh, ready for summer. A lot of stuff going on in the, the tech news world. Uh, I mean, ChatGPT has now consumed our whole news cycle, so there's <laughs> that. But some pretty big security stuff going on this last week, so it should be a fun episode. Yeah, how about you, Daniel? How's, how's your world? Yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. We're having a good time. We're doing security stuff. Uh, now you're talking about ChatGPT. I'm thinking we should do a whole episode where all our responses are scripted by ChatGPT. That could be fun. You know, I haven't seen it, but they did an episode of South Park That's that right. was completely oh, written yeah. by ChatGPT. I did watch it. It, yeah. was, it was pretty funny. Yeah. Not my favorite episode of the show. For what it was, the novelty yeah. of it, it was funny. Yeah. Well, you know, so each week I read a ton of news articles and we, we pick the best ones and that's what we talk about here on the podcast. Um, but increasingly I've noticed where more and more of the articles have been through ChatGPT. Oh, yeah. You can, you can kind of pick up the sense on it. Um, and CNET was really bad. Like CNET for an entire year, all of their stuff was done through an AI system. And you you start to learn the the, the type of language that it uses. And it's somewhat frustrating. Like I don't mm. I don't want to listen to robots. <laughs> I, I would love to like uh, use other AI stuff as well, like Midjourney. And what's the one that does the voice? Oh, I forget the name of it. There's like, there's a name for one that will emulate your voice. Oh right, like, yes, perfectly. Yeah, people are right? doing it to make. And we'll just use Midjourney to create the images of us, and then uh, the voice AI to create our voices, and then we'll have Chat GPT script it out, and then we can just sit at our desk and do other stuff while. There you go. <laughs> Play Minesweeper. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. I'm getting good, too. And then people will be like, why does Daniel have six fingers on one hand and only three <laughs> fingers on the other? Like, Watch no, that's normal. So yeah. Midjourney shows pictures of people that show their hands purposely so they can prove that they can do hands. Yeah. I feel like there's still stuff that if you look hard enough, it's like oh, that's, yeah. yeah. yeah but but still, it's getting better. Yeah. Only a matter of time. Every before, day. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. Man. I mean. I'm oh. sure it could be used for good, but it's it's a little scary. <laughs> used for the forces of evil. Use, for, yeah, will, use your powers for good. We will know that it was us that scorched the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, this, well, I mean, of course, you're, it's 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 all in good fun. We're joking. We love doing the show, so we, we wouldn't want robots to take our job. So let's let's go ahead and jump into this please, first article. Please, robots. Yes. <laughs> this episode brought to you by robots. <laughs> Appealing to the enemy. I see. How That's it is. right. So this first article, we're going to start with our, our tech news. Uh, this one comes from It's Foss. The article says, enough of it. Ubuntu to ditch Snap completely with 24.04, am I saying that correctly? Yep. 24.04. LTS, Naughty Nightingale. I mean, this, to me, Ubuntu abandoning Snap, this just sounds like a bad joke. <laughs> well, that, that is indeed what it turned out to be. This last week, we had April 1st, April Fool's Day, and... Uh, honestly, it's one of my least favorite days of the year, and <laughs> one of the reasons for that is uh, the, the tech news website Slashdot. Every year, they do a thing where all the news on April 1st is fake, and so it's like for a whole day, you just don't even bother going to their page because it's just garbage. Uh, well, other news sites do the same. As we did an April Fool's joke. Yeah. <laughs> so it's one thing to do one joke, yeah. but it's another to do every news story for the that entire day. That is kind of annoying. Which is what I feel like does. April Fool's is like one of those things that you do for kids because my kids love it. Like yeah. They just love April Fool's. And then as you get older, you're like, okay, that novelty is worn off. But people keep going and they yeah. do now it's yep. still a thing so so i use a news aggregator uh called news blur that i use to collect all these articles and, and read them so i don't always read articles of the day they come out and so i didn't catch immediately that this was april fools i saw this headline 
Ubuntu to ditch snap. And I was this like, this is actually a really good April Fool's joke. Oh, then. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so on the headline, they got me. I was like, what the heck is that? Because we, we just talked about, was it in last week's episode? It was or like the week la- before? The last week or the week before, yeah. That Ubuntu was forcing Flatpak out of any Ubuntu derivative. Like, you, you can have Flatpak support, but it can't be installed by default. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they were really pushing against it. And that's because Snap is their own project, Canonical's own project. So for them to kick it out, that's crazy talk. And really, after the first paragraph, you realize, like, all right, this is just, it's a joke. Uh, I do I do enjoy a good practical joke, I will yeah. say. They are fun. Uh, and I especially enjoy them when they get done. So. <laughs> you like when you're not the direct victim of it. You yes, like it, it makes it so else. much more sweet. <laughs> so did, did either of you guys get hit by a April Fool's joke? I want to say I did. I remember I was reading an article or something, and then I was like, ah, oh, this is April Fool's sticking bullcrap. Yeah. <laughs> there, there were a couple that I'm a pretty big Gator fan, and there, I mean, you, you guys might be too. You don't barely pay much attention to sports, do you? But that's, I'm, I'm a very big fan of the Gators. And uh, there were a couple articles that came out that were, or, you know, social media posts, and it, it got me first because I wasn't paying attention to what day it was. I don't yeah. pay much attention to that anymore. And so, not in general, but April Fool's Day. I don't pay attention to when it's April Fool's Day. I used to get excited about it, like you said, when I was a yeah. kid. Um, but it was like uh, something about them tearing down the stadium. And they've been talking about <laughs> renovating that stadium for a while. So it was like, you have you. to tear down Ben Hill Griffin, build a new stadium over Mark Bostic Golf Course. I was like, what? And went to the link. And sure enough, April Fool's, we got you. Uh, uh, so And then the rest of the day, I was on alert. I'm like, so, so not April I mean, Fool's, but I, so I'm a prankster. I like to prank. And if I've given the opportunity in the moment, I will get you. Right. <laughs> so Don and I used to work together. And you remember Larry. Oh, yeah. Hey, right? Yep. So I used to eat lunch with this guy, Larry, every day. Huge Gator fan. Of course, everybody here in Gainesville basically is. And where we used to work, if you wore a Gator shirt on Friday during a game, home game, you could wear jeans. And it was a very, you know, traditional uh, attire kind of thing, work business place. So it was like, okay, I'm going to go grab me a Gator shirt. So I got a Gator shirt. I show up for lunch. And Larry's like, where'd you get that shirt? I go, why? Yeah. He's like, well, you got a coach's shirt. And I was like, it's because I'm a coach at UF. I mean... I never missed a beat. <laughs> I said, I'm a coach. He's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, I am a punting coach. Like, yeah, just something, <laughs> like something so, so obscure enough, yeah. right? To get him. He starts going, no, are you really? I go, yeah, you know, I, I, it's a part-time kind of thing. He's like, wow, that's great. I was like, yeah, I can get you a shirt if you like. I'll get it signed by Coach Meyer. He's, uh, Urban Meyer was coach at the time. <laughs> he's freaking Hook, out. He's like, he's like, I can't believe this. I'm like, nor should you, because it's all bullcrap. <laughs> 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 he said, I will never believe another word you say ever again. And I said, again, good good advice to yourself there. People want to believe. They do. And that's why social engineering works, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw something that said when you're when you're doing an April Fool's joke or a prank, your goal should be to confuse, not abuse. Like your joke shouldn't be like, you know, I, I punched you in the face. You weren't even expecting it. Like, that's not a joke. That's, that's not just a being joke. mean. It's just violence. But I feel like you are a master of confuse, not abuse, because oh, every single day I'm, there's like things made, that you say. I made my childhood best friend, who my mom was his fourth and fifth grade teacher, I made him believe that she had a prosthetic leg. And she never has, nor does she now. But, but he believed it. He was like... She does? <laughs> I can't believe I never noticed that. People want so, to yeah, believe. Yeah, it's kind of fun. <laughs> Mess with people's minds. <laughs> so that's a, that's a fun way to, to kick off this episode. A nice a nice little joke of an article. Sorry if we gave you a little heart attack. But I think they did add a flag to the article that says, if you're reading this now, it's an April Fool's joke. Yeah. So you don't have to, and, you know, you don't get too far into it. And I don't think anybody had a heart attack because Snap sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if anything, it probably, got your hopes Yeah, up. they were like, ah! Oh, man. 
Okay. You can't mess with my emotions like that. (laughs) (laughs) Got me all excited for nothing. Oh, interesting. Okay, I'll have to to keep that in mind. So moving on from from Linux and from joke articles, this the rest of the articles from here on out, I promise they're real. Uh, <laughs> April <laughs> Fool. April Fool. Yeah, this whole episode's a joke. Uh, moving on to the world of cloud, this article comes from The Verge. It says Amazon just opened up its sidewalk network for anyone to build connected gadgets on. So I, I, I wasn't familiar with this, um, but Amazon Sidewalk is it's a low power wide area network designed to be an alternative to LTE or 5G for devices that don't really need that much data. And it sounds like now it's it's been opened up for a lot more people, right? Uh, it is. So, you know, we talked about Amazon Sidewalk probably a year ago, mm-hmm. maybe two. It's been a while since we talked about it because Amazon announced what they were going to do. People freaked out because <laughs> there's some some privacy considerations and things like that around it. We'll talk about in a minute, but uh, but they announced it and then it kind of went into stealth mode as they they work with some internal projects to be able to take advantage. Well, of people to stop freaking out is what they want. <laughs> I think that's a big part of it. Uh, and so now they have opened it up where third party developers can come in and start to use it now. If you don't remember what Amazon Sidewalk is, I don't blame you because Daniel's right. Like this, they they went into stealth mode on this. If you take a house, and I'll use my house as an example, right? So uh, I have a Ring doorbell, which is, you know, Ring is owned by Amazon, and I have two Ring camera floodlights. So they're, they're motion-detecting floodlights, have cameras on them, they're on the outside of the house, and all of those devices are, are wired, like directly wired for electricity, so they, they're not on a battery, but they use Wi-Fi to talk to my Ring hub, whatever the thing is called, uh, so for my cameras. Well... What Amazon did is they've created a 900 megahertz wireless network on those devices. And 900 megahertz is uh, pretty low speed, but good for distance, right? A lot of baby monitors and things that you buy will be 900 megahertz because they're not pushing a lot of data. It's just audio and you want to get distance on it. And so what they did is they said, if you're a, a Ring or Echo customer or whatever, that your exterior devices will now start emitting this network so that people walking by your house may be able to connect and use that as a data network. And, you know, this is not like you're going to watch Netflix on it. It's not like you're going to connect your tablet to it. But if you had something like an Apple AirTag, that the Apple AirTag in the future may be able to use Amazon Sidewalk. And it hits that 900 megahertz wireless frequency uses that network to connect to, say, my floodlight, and then my floodlight creates an encrypted tunnel over my internet connection back to Amazon. So I'm now sharing my internet connection for Amazon customers to talk to Amazon, and Amazon's not paying me for that. And I don't have any visibility into that traffic. I don't know if you know this. Amazon's not in the business of paying you money. I didn't know. They're in the business of taking your money and resources, apparently, when... You know, it suits them. <laughs> and it, their argument is it's low bandwidth, and, and it is, right? It, it, at 900 megahertz, you're not pushing anything significant over it. Uh, but you are effectively giving your internet access to Amazon for free and letting them use it to create what is now one of the United States' largest wireless networks overnight. Yeah, hmm. it's kind of crazy when you think about that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of along the mind of like, you, I, if I did not give you express permission to use something that I own, you don't have permission to use something I own. Yeah, it would be like, well, you know, you've got you've got four rakes in your garage, and I need one, and you're not, you can't use them all. Doesn't matter, they're mine. Yeah, if, if you want them, you have to. I have to give you permission to use them. 
and my Wi-Fi is kind of the same way. Now, even though that's low, and maybe you know more about the technicalities around this, Don, because you, you have some of this and maybe you experience it, does it affect? So if I'm a user, I'm streaming, I'm doing all this stuff, and now I got people that are walking by my house, jacking into my network, even in some small way, what happens if that aggregation builds up? What if we have a lot of foot traffic out there for one day? Maybe I'm in an area that's going to just typically see a lot of foot traffic. Is that going to degrade my, my internet experience for me? So because the 900 megahertz frequency is so constrained, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't see it as being measurable. I mean, maybe if you're on like one of those really crummy DSL lines or whatever, yeah. it starts to impact it. But like I, I've got gigabit fiber at the house. I doubt I would ever notice this. So the uh, infrastructure's built up enough at this point where as far as like a, a, a bad experience with your Internet, that's probably not going to occur. Yeah. Now, you, you can opt out of this. Yes, it, it, it's opt in by default because that's the world we live in, apparently. But you can opt out and say, I don't want my devices to participate in it. I, I did that with my Apple devices. I said, I don't want to participate in the AirTag world. Yeah. And so I turned all that off. Uh, but with with this one, with Sidewalk, it's pretty benign. But, you know, you've got these devices, these IoT devices you're allowing on your network. There's a lot of trust there. Right. It, 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 but it could be it could be the crack in the armor. Right. That right. once you let them have even the smallest modicum of assumed say-so over something that you own and operate, then it won't be long before that crack gets wider and wider and wider, and they're through the door. Yep. And now, I just do everything that I want to do because that's how things work nowadays. Mm. Other question, all right, that was more of a statement, but uh, another question I had is, when you say they open this up, does this mean that Sidewalk is now an open source thing and I can develop on top of Sidewalk? Or... What, what do we mean when we say they've opened this up? So it has certain restrictions. Okay. When you communicate to Amazon Sidewalk, you're only allowed to send data into an AWS service that's designed to support this, so okay. the AWS IoT service. From there, it can then uh, relay out to wherever you want, right? So you could use this for a completely non-Amazon offering, but because it has to go through the AWS service, Amazon makes their money, uh, right? So like yeah, they, right, they're right, going right. to make money on Because you're using their resources, yeah. Right. So... You could have an open source project that you wanted to do mm-hmm. and you wanted to take advantage of this network and you could, okay. but you'd have to leverage AWS in the middle or, or AWS for everything. Right. Uh, which, honestly, if you're doing an open source project or some startup, you'll probably do something anyway. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. So it, it's available. But now you, you mentioned. This segment brought to you by Linode. <laughs> you mentioned uh, you know, getting their claws in, right? Sophie, do you have uh, smart assistants or anything like that in your home? No. Uh, some members of my family advise me against using like Amazon Alexa and stuff like that because okay. they're like, it's a robot. It's going to listen to you. So I just never, I never invested in that or anything like that. So. My oldest daughter, I know prompting me, no teacher. She started calling Alexa robot girl. Right. And um, she did it so that she would not listen to her when oh. she said stuff, when she was referencing it and not asking uh. her to do stuff all on her own. She figured that out. I was like, that's smart. Yep. That kid's smart. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, Using you as the example, Sophie, you don't have any uh, Amazon Echoes. You don't have any Google Home devices, Apple Air. Siri is really my only AI assistant that I utilize. Uh, So you do have one. Okay. Which is on on my phone. On your phone. All right. Uh, But when we talk about IoT, do you have any smart TVs? I do. TVs like Sony where they have their own little... There's apps and stuff that you can... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So those are capable of listening to you as well. (laughs) Yeah. And are yep. capable of doing all the same things that an Echo can do. And so I think in, in today's world, 
it's not about them getting a foothold. I think the they've already got that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about us regaining ground. Point, yeah. <laughs> if I bet, and I, I, I don't have proof on this, but yeah. if we were to go to Best Buy today, I bet you can't buy a TV that doesn't have some kind of internet yeah. connectivity in it. That's why I like a DNS sinkhole, right? Yeah. <laughs> I block you, a lot of traffic. Yeah, you build a pihole, man, and those things start just sinkholing all sorts of like tracking traffic. Hmm. And it's a simple thing to do. It takes you, what, 20, 30 minutes to get one of these things set up? And it just starts going, oh, this is this is ad tracking. This is mm-hmm. user data yep. tracking. Let me just throw that in the middle of nowhere. And uh, yeah, basically fools the device into thinking it's reaching the right place, but it doesn't actually go anywhere. Hmm. Yeah, I uh, we have a Roku on each of our TVs, and the TVs try and phone home. And, and even if you don't configure it, like they try and join networks and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I, I actively block all the TVs from going out. Yep. Um, I allow the Rokus to go out. The Xbox is the one that we fight with. Xavier, my, my oldest son, has Microsoft. a... He's got an Xbox, and that thing chats constantly, telemetry data, just constant throughout the day. Yeah. And that's not an inexpensive console. It's not like they gave it to me for free and they make money on telemetry. Like, you pay money for that. Yeah. Thing. Do you keep... Do, do you turn off all the... Or turn on... What's I don't know how you put it. All the privacy stuff on Windows 11? Uh, I turn off most of it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't go crazy like dig into the registry. Yeah, but if you go like, to the privacy settings, and I, I turn everything off. Yeah, because it's I all do. garbage. Yeah, and, and they tell you like, but but you're going to get ads that aren't relevant to you. Oh no! I, I would really enjoy it. <laughs> no ads at yeah. all. That'd be great. Since yeah. seeing as I paid for this, no ad is relevant. <laughs> yeah, to Yeah, <me>. that's right. <laughs> Listen, I do not need Zeljans. <laughs> <laughs> and if I did, the doctor will tell me that you need Zeljans. <laughs> because I went to them and said, something's wrong. And they went, hmm, I think you need some of this Zeljans business. <laughs> I'm trying to find, and see, they make it hard to find this. Too. I'm yeah. trying to find the privacy screen in Windows 11 yeah. uh, where it's got all the different options you can check off. But I, I know where the one is yeah. in uh, Edge. And on that one, I turn everything off. And on Edge, it's, it's tucked away. You have to go into settings and then you go into... They tuck it away? Yeah, to make it not just super easy to put your hands on and start clicking it off. And so you have to go to then to privacy, search, and services, and way down in the services, this huge list of just garbage that they want to do. And it's like, nope. Some of it use a web service to help resolve navigation errors. Yeah. And what that means is if you make a typo in a URL, that it's sending that to. Yeah. I mean, this is a whole way of leaking data or exfiltrating data. You know, maybe it's because we come from uh, an age when the internet was a little more rough and tumble, right? You had to know what you were doing out there. That we don't care about all those little nannies. I don't need your help. I, yeah. I know what to do. Thank you. Back in my day. That's right. We didn't have these newfangled edge devices with their hidden privacy settings. The government. Yeah, that's the way it was, and we liked it. Oh, goodness. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I don't disagree. Wrong. It's just funny when... You, when uh, I'm becoming more of a, like a, a privacy advocate the older I get, mm-hmm. so... The more that I learn from you guys, the more I'm like paranoid, paranoid as hell. Yeah. 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 Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not watching you. So <laughs> the more that I have to think about it, um, which is great. So, well, if you're bored and you have time and you have an AWS account, you can actually go to Amazon and request a Amazon sidewalk test unit that you can walk around and you hold the little button. It'll tell you if you're getting a sidewalk signal or not. And so you can walk around your neighborhood and see how prevalent this is. And if you do it, I think you will be surprised. I have applied for one. Well, that's curious. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you get it. I want to borrow it. I was going to say, I yeah. will probably not be doing that, but I'm curious to hear how it goes. And, I would uh, gladly pay findings. for it. Like, yeah. I don't need a free one, but <laughs> I'll take it for free. Yeah. Don't tell them that. <laughs> yeah. They'll take your money. Yeah.
one so, way or another. Yeah. <laughs> so sticking with that that theme of stuff going on in the in the world of cloud, uh, we have an article from GHacks. Uh, it says Molvad or Molvad. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. It's new. Uh, Molvad browser, privacy-friendly browser launched. So it says that this is not Chromium-based. It uses Firefox. Uh, it looks like it was developed in cooperation with the makers of the Tor browser. And Daniel, I know it at our day job, you talk about this in like the shows that we do sometimes about t- using Tor and then also yep. um, that you use Firefox a lot in these shows. So I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are. On yeah, I thought this was really cool because I, I do like to use Brave quite often, right? Mm-hmm. This is very privacy-based and, and Brave is a great option. It also has a built-in Tor mechanism where Brave can connect to Tor and allow you to search throughout uh, the, the the Tor network. So I thought it was cool. From what I understand, it's not. I just uh, recently got done reading a book about digital privacy and things you can do, and they were uh, making the um, comparison between Brave and the Tor browser. Apparently, Tor is still a bit more, the Tor browser proper is a bit more secure. And even Brave will tell you, yeah, if you want full-on, full-fledged, you know, anonymity, go with the, the Tor browser. So I, I would love to see how this stacks up since it was developed in conjunction with the Tor developers with Firefox. You know I got love for Firefox. Yep. I've been using Firefox since 2004. To see that have like a new influ- uh, influx of life into it and kind of start to bring it up. It's like, I love how this article starts off with, <laughs> look, a new web browser that is not Chromium-based. And I'm like, oh, tell me more. <laughs> oh, it's it's Firefox-based. You had me at Firefox, you you dirty sons of guns. And now it's got Tor built in. I, I'm totally going to be test driving this ASAP. Well, hang on. We have to walk that back a little bit uh, because, and, and I'll tell you, this is the opposite of the first article. I thought this was an April Fool's joke <laughs> when I read it. And then I had to do a double take because I was like, wait, this is real. This and then is I real. downloaded the browser. I'm like, <laughs> it is real. Um, the original headline I saw was new web browser from the people who make Tor that doesn't use Tor. Really? And I said, what the heck? Oh, is you that? mean the Tor browser? So, so you, you have the Tor browser, right? Yeah. But the Molvad browser does not use the Tor network. So. It's so, just a privacy-based browser. It's then. a privacy-based browser. I thought it browser. said that it had like a Tor was, plugin or and whatever. And they, they want you to use it with a VPN. Right. And so if you want Tor support, you've got to add it on. Oh. And so it's not baked in kind of like uh, Brave does. It is not baked in. I misunderstood that. No. Okay. And, and I thought that was really weird. Like if right. you're going to be this privacy-focused browser and you make Tor, you make the Tor browser, that, that was what... Why well, I really thought it yeah. was a uh, like uh, a baked in Tor Firefox thing. I thought it was an April Fool's joke because you've already got the Tor browser right. that uses the Tor network. Why would you release a non Tor based browser, which is exactly what they did? Um, Molvad or Molvad, I think yeah. we decided. Yeah, we were, we were kind of like, is this the you know Molvad the Impaler? And, yeah. <laughs> you know, we will dine with the blood of the innocent. And <laughs> Plus, we can go to tour sites. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, you know, what it does is it has a bunch of privacy features built into it. And I I know privacy is important and so on, but... Don's not as sold out I, for did, it. Did you have a chance to, to try the browser? I have not yet, no. Okay, I did. And it annoyed the piss out of me. Oh, to did it? Oh, let me, let me tell you some of the things that it does. And I, I get it. I, I get what they're trying to do. Like right? I type in a URL, goes right away to that. So <laughs> Can't stand that. Every web page is rendered in a frame of sorts. Like you don't see the border. Okay. But so that it changes the dimensions of the page. Right? Okay. Because 
five years ago, there was an article about one person who got tracked down and the FBI was able to use the resolution of their browser to really? possibly tie it to that person. I, I still feel that that was propaganda. Um, like like the uh, the carrots, right? Have you ever heard the story about carrots and eye health? Negative. Yeah, I'll yeah, that like you eat carrots and they're supposed to make your vision better. And it was some I myth knew that about they, carrots, but it was, it had to do, it was in, during a war, wasn't it? Yeah. So in, it was in between World War One and World War Two where we developed uh, uh, radar, sonar? Mm-hmm. Radar. 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 Yeah. That was small enough to fit in an airplane. Right. And so our pilots could actually see what was out and about around them. And we didn't want other countries to know about it. But our pilots were more accurate than other countries. And so they needed a way to disguise that. And they said, well, we do a diet high in carrots <laughs> and it's improving our pilot's vision and that's what it is. And so then you had this whole generation of carrots help your eyes. And, and they don't. Well, right. I grew up hearing that for they have, sure. They have vitamins and nutrients in them, so I'm sure, sure they help like somewhat, any Like any other vegetable, yeah. You, you can eat all the carrots you want. You're not going to have super night vision. Uh, what? And yeah, so it was kind of a propaganda thing. I feel like the, and this is I feel, right? Not a yeah. fact, that the FBI or whoever tracked down somebody on the tour network and used something they didn't want to tell us about. And so like, oh yeah, it was, oh, the, the resolution of their webpage was a little weird and we we saw it every time. So Tor, the Tor browser has this. Every time you launch the Tor browser, the window is a slightly different size yeah. because of that. Well, Mulvat has it built in where the, the window is the same size, a little more user-friendly, but there's a, a frame inside it to to render the web pages different sizes. Okay, um, That's in my opinion, not a very invasive thing. You can ignore it. You can get over it. Um, but all sorts of scripting is disabled by default, which is super annoying. So most web pages are broken yeah. in Mulvad. The way God um, intended. <laughs> it does. It does no session storage whatsoever. So you know, nice. no no cookie storage or anything. So you you know, you always have to log into websites. It's so. the tales of browsers. It is, but it goes a little crazier. It randomizes your time zone. Nice. So when you go to web pages that are time based, you don't know which time zone your browser is set in every time you launch. <laughs> and, and so, like, this is. I think I'm going to like this browser. Well, <laughs> it, if you're. I guess my point here, let me, let me try and make this rational because I'm ranting, is if you're going to go through this level of privacy, of security, yeah. you need to be running a privacy based operating system like Tails. Tails Unix, and, yeah. And why wouldn't you use Tor at that point? That's a good and, question. I just I don't see. So Tor the point can of this. get a little weird because like because you're proxying through, you get like odd results, right? You're getting so. Oh, I think that you're in Estonia, and therefore you're going to get Estonian results from some of these sites that you're going to. So it, it can get a little odd uh, from time to time when you're in the Tor. You kind of kind of know where you're going in Tor, at least from my experience. Mm-hmm. So, but if I wanted a more secure, just regular browsing experience add some of that idea, but into my regular world. I like the idea that scripts are around. I don't mind that stuff breaks. Yeah. You know, I just, I'm typically, as long as a picture will render and the text will render, I'm pretty good. I know a lot of them are very dynamic and that, that's going to, I get you. And that's why I have the ability to turn the level of security down when I need to mm-hmm. and turn it up when I don't. Yeah. I think Brave does a good job. They're, they're pretty well tempered. They implement a lot of security without breaking functionality. Right. Mulvad, it it's the sledgehammer <laughs> solution. Like, well, and this is also you know iteration one, right? This is yeah, you know every not, nothing's fully baked. At some point, Don's got to be better than perfect, and you got to release 
And then they'll start getting people like yourself going, hey, this is what I didn't like about that. Can we improve that? Can we maintain the security that we're looking for by implementing that without losing the functionality of the sites that I'm wanting to go to? And eventually, I think this will become much more fully baked and and a a viable option. Hmm. Now, they do have a Mulvad VPN service that you can subscribe to and uh, has mobile apps and things like that that you can take advantage of. So there's a whole ecosystem that they're working on building here. Nice. We'll have to see how it plays out. I, um, I I personally don't see the point in it, but maybe there's use case scenarios that'll pop up in the next few months, and this will be a big thing. Yeah, I look forward to playing with it. Right, because like you said, this is I mean, it's really, really new. So, I mean, time will tell, I'm sure, yep. and it'll be interesting to see how people enjoy it. And if you are considering switching browsers, uh, maybe check out that one, and you can mull that over. During the, I'm sorry, I tried. Uh, you can mull that over during the break. <laughs> you, you laughed wrong, Don. You're supposed to go, ah, ah, ah. Yeah, <laughs> do the dad laugh. The dad laugh. So that is going to wrap the tech news segment of our show. Uh, so we are going to take a quick break, but don't go away. We're going to get into some security news when we come back. So stay tuned for more Technado. The IT Pro TV app is available for iOS and tvOS. The modern user interface makes navigation easy. Recently watched videos can be found on the home screen, as well as our daily live streams. Choose landscape mode for larger viewing. Access the entire course library by clicking on the play icon. Navigate our content by category, certification, and job role. Learn where you want and when you want as a premium annual member by downloading episodes for offline viewing. Watch on the go and pick up later on any of your favorite devices. So head to the App Store and download the IT Pro TV app. Welcome back. We're going to go ahead and get into the security segment of Technado. We've got like three or four articles that we're going to be covering. Uh, and Don talked a little bit earlier about how we're seeing a lot of like AI-powered tools and stuff in the news cycle right now. It's kind of taken over. And so in, in keeping with that uh, statement from Don earlier, we have an article from The Hacker News. Uh, it says, Microsoft introduces GPT-4 AI-powered security co-pilot tool to empower defenders, which is the longest article in the history of the world. <laughs> title. Uh, so it's called Security Co-Pilot. Right now it's a limited preview, but it's not just any AI-powered tool, it's geared specifically to help cybersecurity analysts in their jobs, right? Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of people, uh, ChatGPT is amazing, mm-hmm. right? If you've had a chance to mess around with it, it is really impressive. And and we've had other AI tools that were pretty mediocre in the past, mm-hmm. and, you know, unless you want pictures of people with six fingers and, and stuff like that. You uh, don't. <laughs> some people do. It's, it's predicting the future, Don. If you're <laughs> rebooting the Princess Bride or something yeah. and you need the six-fingered man. You do. You do. Um, <laughs> but, okay. AI's got you covered. Huh? <laughs> but uh, everybody's seen the Princess Bride. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It just took yes. me a second, yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, but, you know, when these tools came out, a lot of people looked at it and said, that's amazing. Uh, what do we do with it? How can we leverage it? And so now we're kind of moving into that next phase of the technology where people are finding creative ways to leverage this. And some of it is questionable at best, and others are actually useful. Well, Microsoft has floated a neat one out here with their security copilot, and we'll have to wait to see how well it pans out. Uh, it's in a limited preview, but I, I was not able to get access to the mm-hmm. tool I I did apply all of my uh, extensive media clout yeah. and privilege that I have, which is next to nothing. Uh, <laughs> and Microsoft said, who are you? Uh, and, and I didn't get access. But uh, but the idea here is 
if you are a cybersecurity professional, you're, you're a blue teamer, or you know, hey, maybe you're a, a forensics expert or whatever, and you're dealing with incident response, that security co-pilot can be your battle buddy, can be right there with you, that you can say, oh, here's this weird traffic. Let me feed that into the security co-pilot and say, what is this? Or just feed your logs directly into it and say, can you spot any anomalies? Or, you know, here's these two things. Can you feed me everything that happened at 11 a.m. from this IP to this IP? And, and it's able to help to sift through that information. Now, in all of the marketing media and stuff they've put out, it's really been more general as far as, uh, you know, what is this particular malware? And then it'll explain what the malware is and give you a diagram of how it works. And, you know, how would I, how would I isolate this malware? Or how would I look for an indicator of compromise? And then it gives you information. They haven't gotten to the part where you can feed data directly into it. And mm. I have some concerns over that. With, with ChatGPT, the data that you feed into it, you don't really know what happens to that data on the back end. And a lot of companies are worried about their intellectual property leaking out. Well, if you're a cybersecurity uh, professional, the data you handle is likely sensitive. And so you can't allow that to just go into a general pool. But if you use Microsoft 365 and this is hooked into it, and so it's all internal to your environment, this would be neat to just have somebody to be able to bounce questions off of safely and not have to worry about you know, accidentally disclosing information. Yeah, and we've seen uh, some of these um, AIs have their local installs start happening. People are kind of forking off of it, right? And I, I assume it won't be too long where you can just get the official chat GPT or open AI, AI to hook into your system and all be on-prem kind of thing, right? Yeah, the challenge there are the GPUs. Because I, oh, right. I You'd have to have this. the money. <laughs> um, so I... At home, I, I spoiled myself, and I upgraded my video card. So I have a NVIDIA RTX 4080. Oh, uh, look at you. I, yeah, I, I spent a little more than I should have, uh -huh. but, uh, but I did a treat yourself. And I thought, hey, this card's got like 16 gigs of, of GPU RAM yeah. or you know DDR6 or whatever. Uh, I should be able to run something like this locally. And so I, I went and started looking into it, and you can't. <laughs> like, you need, uh, I, I think so it's a minimum. So obviously this is an enterprise level. You need like a minimum of four GPUs to be okay. able to do this stuff. And so what I suspect is we're going to start seeing appliances sold to do it. Yeah. Or Microsoft, Amazon, Google, they'll start to offer it as a service that's part of their cloud solutions. Mm. And then you can have one that's isolated. Gotcha. So that, that's likely what will happen. Mm. Yep. I mean, it's definitely interesting stuff. I could probably hear the collective uh, gasp of my job. You know, I'm going to lose my job because I'm the I'm the analyst here, right? I'm the SOC analyst. I, if I'm relying on AI, and then all of a sudden we have the ability, you know, when that that dam bursts, and we can just directly feed threat intelligence into the AI and let the AI kind of go, well, here's your problems, and now you're just kind of relegated to being the fixer, maybe. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, it will empower people to react faster. Absolutely. Right? You know, think about all the time we spend troubleshooting or analyzing logs. If this can do it for us, yeah. we get to a resolution faster. So that's a positive. I think that another positive is, like, I, I know that a lot of security people kind of get, uh, you know, heart palpitations about losing their job to an AI doing the job that they do. But what I've seen, and maybe it's just, you know, obviously this is anecdotal, it's not empirical data or anything, is that it typically frees them up to now do something more, do something better, be creative, figure out other things while the AI can handle. And now you can have a whole security force of right. people that that is their job. That entry level becomes you are the fixer 
that you just deal with AI-generated tickets all day while the people that are at the next tier are working on implementing new security uh, thing, uh, controls, right. uh, procedures, policies, and that kind yeah. of stuff. Relegate so, menial tasks to, right. to AI and then freeze you up for the... And I think, right. correct me if I'm wrong, but it just seems to me like as long as there's, as there's a human element to attacks that happen and to threats and things, you would never want to just relegate this stuff to just, just robots right. and machines. Nope. You've got to have people yes. involved. You know, I, I had somebody reach out to me on LinkedIn and uh, first off, I was, I was gonna say, when were you on LinkedIn? I, I know. Yeah, so it, it just, I, <laughs> the one time a year, Don got on the LinkedIn. <laughs> I log in once every six months. Thank you. Okay, okay. This is my annual visit <laughs> with his three hundred followers. <laughs> so I, I had to go on LinkedIn to look somebody else up, and and while I was in there, I had this message waiting, and yeah. it, it was it, there were messages from months ago, but <laughs> Don's the Bill Murray of LinkedIn <laughs> over here. <laughs> there just happened to be a message from the day before. It was somebody asking advice. Yeah, and they they were saying, you know. I'm in a college program for cybersecurity. I want to go into the field, but I'm really worried about the the AI mm. stuff that's happening in there. Uh, and my reply to them was, I don't think you have to worry. AI is just a tool. And if you look historically, like, did antivirus software put cybersecurity researchers out of work? Nope. It just Absolutely. became a tool. Not even close, right? Like, I yeah. mean, just it... it I don't think it eliminated even one single position. If anything, it created a position. <laughs> Somebody's got to manage it. So you're the person that manages the EDR system here. <laughs> <laughs> you make sure updates are getting done, the things that aren't yeah. checking in, you figure out why that's not happening. Like there are still things that people need to do. Yep. And these AI models are only as effective as the data they're trained with, right? Mm -hmm. Now, Microsoft made a claim in theirs. They said, look, the Azure network and Microsoft 365 handles more security incidents per day than any other network on the planet. So they handle literally millions of sensor readings every single day. Uh, so they have a great big data set. But that doesn't change the fact that they can't predict the future. Mm -hmm. And hackers are coming up with new and innovative ways. That's why we call them zero days. Yeah. What is it? The uh, So horse poop? <laughs> right? Now, you, I know you're laughing. I love the look on yep. Sophia's face. You got to get that. Get that look. I, I make her make this look all the time. So in New York City, around the turn of the century, horse poop was a really big problem. And they thought the the streets, it's going to be you know six feet high. Everybody's moving into this city. Actual horse poop. This is Actual horse poop because, something. right, because okay. people rode horses. Right. Okay. Right. So okay. there were so many people in the city that they were pooping everywhere sure. and they, could, they didn't have the infrastructure to deal with it. And then cars got invented. Or they became mainstream is basically what ended up happening, right? All of a sudden, that wasn't a problem anymore. So yeah. technology comes out all the time, and things kind of cycle and shift away. You don't know what's coming down the line, to Don's point, mm. that will uh, you know, solve problems that we had before but create new issues that we have to worry about and create jobs and all, all sorts of stuff. And I need to do a little fact update here because I said Microsoft handles millions of security events. It's four. It's actually <laughs> 65 trillion oh my daily word. signals. Are you kidding me? That, yeah, that's uh, from a statement from Microsoft. 65 trillion security signals okay. every single day. Huh. Well, it's a feather in their cap, isn't it? Pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine the Splunk billing for that. Like, yeah. they, they bill per message. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many do you have? 65 trillion. Oh, really? <laughs> Splunk, the new most powerful yeah. <laughs> entity in the world. Yeah. They would have to merge with Microsoft <laughs> at that point. Like you said, I, I don't think that it's something where it's like, this is going to take my job. It's But but hopefully something like this will help you to be more effective and productive in your job yeah. if you do work as a cybersecurity analyst or something similar. Um, and like I said, as long as there's a human element, I think you'll always need people involved. And this next article kind of has to do with there were a couple people that just, it just kind of looks like they just wanted to watch the world burn. Not really sure why they did what they did. So let's go ahead and take a look at our next segment, Behind Bars. Bad boy, bad boy. 
the law and you'll go to So jail. this article comes from AP News. Uh, it says two charged with cutting wires, 40,000 lose internet service. This happened in Connecticut, but the people responsible are North Carolina residents, so don't, maybe they're on vacation and just were looking for something to do. I don't know. Uh, and I'm just having a hard time understanding what was the reason. Is this just like they just wanted to watch the world burn? Why? Why do this? You know, there, there's a lot of madness going on right now. And uh, if you're not in the U.S., you probably have a completely different set of madness that you deal with. But here in the U.S., uh, we have very polar opposed political parties. And there are factions on both sides that are doing crazy things to damage infrastructure. So we've had shootings on power plants. We've had fiber optic cables getting cut. We've had buildings burned down. It's a very bizarre time that we live in. But in this case, it was a couple of people that we don't have a motive for just yet. I have uh, a theory, by the way. You continue, though. Okay. <laughs> that uh, what they decided to do was to sever some fiber optic cables, and they cut 2,000 fiber optic cables resulting in 40,000 homes and businesses losing internet service in Connecticut. So um, definitely a... I, I don't know if this gets classified as domestic terrorism. They were labeled as vandals. Uh, so it's not vandalism, but yeah. there's there's likely political motivations attached to this that almost always is, are. Is life or limb lost with the, with the outage of fiber optic? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think that would get you under a terrorist watch list. Hopefully. All right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's fingers crossed, right? <laughs> like what, now, what would you call that? Would you call that hacktivism if they were like motivated so, by political factors? If they're um, yes, I, I would say that's a physical attack. If you were motivated, if your motivations was I'm going to bring awareness to my political okay. cause, gotcha. then yes, this would be a type of hacktivism. Hmm. Okay. But my theory, which is much more fun, <laughs> <laughs> aliens. Yeah, no, not aliens. Right, that's right. awesome, though. Uh, I'm thinking this is North Carolina. These are obviously two redneck boys, right? <laughs> they were sitting around the garage watching Bassmasters, as you do. As you do. Or white-tailed deer, something like that, <laughs> right? And internet went out, and they're like, this is some shitty internet out here. I want some fiber optics. They called up, what is it, Optimum or whatever? Yeah. They <laughs> called up Optimum, and they're like, hey, we want some of that fiber optic. I heard that gigabit speed's amazing. And they were like, we don't service your area, sir. We're sorry. And they're like, oh, some bull crap. So... Out of a, just a drunken, natty, ice-fueled rage, they just went on a uh, cable-cutting spree. That's my theory. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm close. Uh, I'm close. You know, this article, I actually had a family member ask me about it because they, they asked me, they said, Don, how long would they it take? They had been cutting cables and wanted to know before how long they got How arrested. long it would take to cut 2,000 fiber optic cables, right? Like the, these That's people, a lot. That's a lot of cables. Uh, and also, why does it take 2,000 cables to service 40,000 homes? That seems like a, a weird number. Hmm. Um, and so I don't, I don't have the details on how exactly they did this, but if you've ever messed with carrier grade fiber optics, the two most common cables, it, it from the outside, the exterior, it just looks like a black cable. In fact, you'll yeah. see them run along telephone poles a lot and not even realize that it's fiber. You'll just think that it's like a telephone well, yeah. cover or whatever. Yeah. Um, but inside there's the fiber 144 and fiber 288 and the, the numbers mean how many strands of fiber oh, are inside okay. it. Gotcha. So you can actually have a cable with 288 strands per cable. inside of one big thick cable, which with a pair of bolt cutters, no problem. It's oh, yeah, glass. It's, it's not even metal, right? 
Um, so Listen, it, it, Earl pulled up his backhoe <laughs> and just went down a street and said, don't dig here. Call before you dig my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Take this optimum. <laughs> you know, we have had some bizarre stuff here with the fiber at the office where uh, one day a backhoe cut it, another day a squirrel chewed through That's it. That's true. I yeah. remember that yeah. one. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. a number of weird issues. See, I remember being at the Bureau, and you remember we had that big solar winds map of the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. And every now and then you'd be walking through and go, uh-oh. <laughs> and you yeah. would see, like, one side of Florida is red yeah. because they have no internet uh-huh. connectivity because some jackhole stinking <laughs> dug with a, with a backhoe somewhere <laughs> and, and killed it. And you're like, okay, I guess they're, they're down for the day. So when I, when I worked in Seattle, uh, Seattle had this really cool ring of fiber that went around Lake Washington. Okay. And it was a ring, so it was neat. Like, if it broke at any point, it was no big deal because you could just go around. It, it, was, it was like... Token ring, yeah. You know, uh, the history repeats itself. Yeah. Um, but one day, the fiber ring got broken in two places simultaneously on different sides of the river or the the um, the lake. Yeah, yeah. And just it it happened, and it was a freak coincidence, and half the city went offline. That was it. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was that was a fun day. Uh, good times. But, oh man. But my point here is, they could have cut relatively few cables, like eight cables. Yeah. And it amounted to 2,000 strands actually being cut. Um, But yeah, you know, this type of stuff is happening a lot, and it shows where if if you are responsible for your company's LAN and WAN, uh, redundant internet connections are kind of becoming an important thing. That's right. Have an MPLS backup, right? (laughs) Something. Yeah, if you've got a cable that's got a couple hundred, like you said, strands in it, you cut maybe 10 cables and you're done. So maybe maybe it was just like they were having a boring afternoon and they were looking for something to do and... Why don't we just start cutting cable? Or maybe like I don't know what that cable is. Maybe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is. Can't be. I don't know. Important. Cut it. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> maybe like you said, it was it was a rage fueled. Yeah. You know, politically motivated. Whatever. Who I knows? So. I feel like I'm right. It they they <laughs> included the details of like they were detained and how they found them and arrested them or whatever, but obviously no information on why yet. It's not like yeah. they came out and made I'm, wrote like a manifesto. Like this is why I'm cutting cables. So I'm curious <laughs> to find knows? out. This the cable cutting manifesto. I can't wait for that to be released <laughs> because it it could turn out to be. Something completely non-technology related, like they were, yeah. they were trying to find copper cables to steal to steal oh, the copper right. and buy meth. Like that, that's a thing here in the United oh, States. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that's big business right there. Yeah, huh. and they're, they're, they're cutting. I can just picture this. They're cutting each one. Like, damn it! Yeah, <laughs> try another one, Bob. <laughs> the next one. And <laughs> still nothing. It's just those glass things. <laughs> and they're like, they're on the one thousand nine hundred ninety-nine cable. Like. Nah, keep going. Give it yeah. <laughs> We're due. It's a gambler's fallacy, right? We're due. <laughs> we, that, that would be an interesting motivation, I guess. That might make a little more sense. Yeah. To, to me, at least, that makes a little bit more sense. Um, not that it makes it okay, but <laughs> at least I could understand, okay, I see why you did that. Um, so we may never know. Who knows? Maybe we'll... Maybe we'll revisit this in a in a future article, Deja News or oh, something. Oh, I can't wait. We'll have to see. We'll have to see if there's any. <laughs> We're going to follow this trial. Huh? We're going to follow it very closely. Yeah, yeah this will be the new last pass for us. Uh, <laughs> but this uh, this next segment, we're going to talk about. You might have been hearing about what is it? Three uh, CX. Speaking of the new last pass. Speaking, yeah, speaking of the new last pass, yeah. Uh, you might have been hearing a little bit about this in the news. So let's take a look at who got pwned. Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah. So we have an article from Ars Technica says Trojanized Windows and Mac apps rain down on 3CX users in massive supply chain attack. Am I saying that right? Is that the way that they... Okay, so uh, their threat actors evidently working on behalf of the North Korean government that were somehow able to hide malware inside versions of these of these apps that 
looked like they were digitally signed and approved by the companies. Pretty convincing ploy. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, let's let's start out with the basics. If, if you've never heard of 3CX, they are a VoIP company. And they originally they specialized in making this like really sweet software VoIP phone. And so you could go and buy it for, I don't know, 20 or $30 a seat. And I, I've used it at a few different companies. And as far as a digital phone on your desktop, it's pretty neat, pretty slick. Uh, they then progressed to actually making a whole PBX system. So your your entire phone system could be run from within 3CX's software. So they have the VoIP server piece, and then they have the VoIP client that's installed on all your machines. And, and they have mobile apps for Android and iOS and so on. So your, your entire phone system can be managed by this. Now, a lot of people have gone to cloud PBX solutions like Microsoft 365, Zoom has their own calling and so on. But if you wanted a system that you completely controlled, 3CX is a pretty big player in that space. Hmm. So a lot of big names use it. In fact, here, I'll pull up their webpage and we'll get to the part where they brag about their customers. Um, a lot of, of little startups in here you might have heard of, like Mercedes-Benz, Toyota, McDonald's, BMW, uh, Honda, NHS, right? So some really big organizations use 3CX for their, their VoIP server or client or both. Right. Well, these attackers managed to get in and we, we haven't seen details on how they got in yet, but we know what they did. <laughs> yeah, we do. Which is they took the binaries for the client, the, the mobile apps and the desktop apps, and added a malware package to it. And they were they had so much access to the 3CX network that they had access to the private keys and they were able to digitally sign all of these packages in a catastrophic supply chain attack that rivals solar winds. And so a, a lot of companies just through their regular updates and, and with mobile apps, you know, mobile apps update automatically, people started downloading these digitally signed, even the, the iOS one was notarized by Apple. So it passes all the security checks, downloading it and it had malware on it and it was bad. They, I mean, it, they, they were able to infect tens of thousands of machines and it was undetected because it was all digitally signed. So a full-on breach of 3CX's uh, CI/CD pipeline. Yeah, this is the scary part about about supply chain, right? Is it's <clears throat> I always say it's kind of an exponential hack, right? Because I hit 3CX. Well, I don't just hit 3CX. I hit their customer list. That's what's the big deal here. Is if I'm able to then infect through what is legitimate. Uh, um, avenues, right? The customers are going to completely trust that anything coming from there, it's all whitelisted. Everything's like, yes, come through. You are a part of my ecosystem. And now as an attacker, I've made my way into, you know, obviously, as, as Don said, a bunch of startups that are out there, you know, like McDonald's, they, they'll, they'll make it. We're pulling for you, Mickey D's. Yeah. Yeah, you'll, you'll get there. One day you'll be one of the big dogs. They are announcing layoffs this week. Are they really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe that's not too far from the truth then. But that's why it's exponentially like super, super scary that a supply chain attack could happen and does happen, as we've seen. And uh, what is also interesting about this, Don, is that there was a couple of, a couple of flags went up early yeah. in the game. And because this was com it was coming from 3CX, people went... Ah, that can't be right, right? Yeah, the, the attackers were pretty smart on this because they didn't tamper with the actual software package. So the, the 3CX VoIP phone piece was really unmodified. That part worked. They just added their payload to it. 
And so from the customer perspective, everything looked normal. And when the first report started coming into 3CX support, their support people said, well, it's only one AV product that's picking it up. It was Sentinel-1. And they said, it's probably a false positive. You should just ignore. Click click ignore. Click allow behavior or whatever Sentinel-1 prompts for. Uh, you know, every AV product has yeah. that, that option. Create an exception. That's my favorite social engineering is if I give somebody something and I'm like, hey, you're probably going to see a few prompts just next your way through it. It's going to ask you about security and stuff. Don't worry about that. Fine. It's yeah, secure. it's fine. You can it's secure. It. Yeah, you're good. And, you know, and why would a customer debate that? There were no warnings about this is an unsigned application right. or you downloaded this from an untrusted source. It's no, you received this through the normal, normal pathways. And this went on for at least seven days. So they, they've shown where 3CX received reports of this and it took them seven days to finally get to the point where they said, you know what? wait a minute, maybe this is us. When more AV vendors started recognizing this as malware and blocking it, then they had to, to take action. Now, on the, the Windows and Mac versions of their software, they've announced that there was more than one version that was affected. Uh, on the Windows side, 18.12.407 and 18.12.416, mm -hmm. two different builds. On the Mac side, it's 18.11.1213, all the way through like 18.12.416. So like what happened was when the attackers got into that CI CD pipeline, they made it where even when 3CX employees did a new build to push out fixes, the malware would tag along with it. And it was pretty sophisticated. When you'd install it and it would run, it would reach out to a GitHub server to grab some URLs. Yeah. So the it had in that GitHub repo was a bunch of icon files. And if you downloaded those icon files and looked at them, they would show you could see the icon look normal. I've actually used this trick myself. You embed an encoded payload into the icon file, and then the software, the the, the malware, can kind of extract that information, de or, uh, decode it, and then use it. And it was a bunch of URLs that led to uh, another stage download of malware that yeah. eventually gave them C2 access. So as a researcher looking at it, you know, you'd see, all right, they're accessing GitHub. That's not really nefarious. Right. But let me see what they're getting. Oh, they're pulling icon files. They look like icons. But... Uh, that's steganography, right? When there's data hidden in an image or... Steganography is a little bit different. I mean, uh, it's where you use the slack space of a of like a, an image file to hide data within those those random bits. This was just basically append this data to the end of this oh, file. Okay. Yeah. So just like what would normally be considered junk data, but yeah. in this case is meaningful. Right. So, you know, everything looks legit, really hard to find, really masked in there. Uh, but then... It infects the machine and off they go. And the people at 3CX didn't see any of it, yeah. right? And and so I can see where this created that confusion and gave the attackers a nice big window of time, at least a week, probably yeah. longer. I think we'll find out that this goes longer. And, and it's definitely going to go longer because even if they put out cleaned binaries today, how long does it take the customers to update all of that? Right. Uh, and what's funny is usually in mitigations, what do we tell you to do? You know, oh, you start to blocking and, you know, check for these things and make sure that those domains are blocked, these IPs are blocked, all these IOCs that we give them. And don't forget, update your software so that it's at the latest yeah. and greatest. And this, in this instance, you can't say that because the update will infect you until yeah. they come up with a clean version and have all those old versions removed from the wild. Yeah, now on, on the desktop versions, companies are typically pretty slow to update, right? Because yeah. they've got to have some way to push that out, and desktop OSs are notoriously not good for that. Uh, but on the mobile devices, on your Android and iOS phones, those have automated update yeah, processes. Yeah, you're, you're hosed. And so those devices were probably the, the most hard I, hit. I, so I think the uh, mitigation strategy was uninstall the application, use the WPA 
which is their web platform for basically the same thing. Mm. They said, just use that now until we get clean versions back out there. She was. Yeah. Yeah. Uninstall was was their number one like go-to mitigation. Yeah. Get rid of it. Yep. That's not a good place Kill to be. Kill it with fire. And, <laughs> and this is, you know, for a company, if it's your phone system. Yeah. Uh, imagine that, like having your phone system taken away from you. Right. Uh, that's yeah. That's a bad day at the beach, right there. It really is. <laughs> so this is this is a tough one. Now I did find that it was interesting that the way they were able to add their payload was through um, uh, oh shoot, what's it called uh, when they FFmpeg? The well through <laughs> DLL DLL yeah. hijacking. So it was DLL side loading. Side loading. That's yeah. Side loading, which is a little bit different than hijacking. So DLL hijacking. Uh, usually you do what's called search order hijacking, where Windows machines will look for. Uh, DLLs in the current folder, and there's like an order in which it looks for DLLs, especially if it doesn't find it. Then it starts to look for it, and it does it in a certain search order. So you can kind of manipulate that. Sideloading kind of takes advantage of that, as well as um, basically some vague references to DLLs through what's called side-by-side, went side-by-side. This all happens with manifest files and stuff like that. It's called really high-technical stuff, but it's been a tried-and-true method for putting implants into legitimate software. Now, here's the interesting thing is it's a known attack vector. Yeah. And so a number of developers, and Microsoft does this, where they have made it where if you digitally sign an application, you digitally sign the DLL files as well. So if somebody tries to sideload an unsigned DLL, it's going to generate an error and a warning. But in this case, because the attackers had access to the private keys, their sideloaded DLL was digitally signed. Yep. (laughs) It's legit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So fun fact about that GitHub repo, John Hammond and Huntress, they, uh, John Hammond actually discovered, or the Huntress team discovered that that's where it was going to that GitHub repo. And John Hammond reached out to GitHub and had them pull it down. Oh, all right. So So due to his work, yeah. That stopped new infection. Yep. That helped stop. Cool. It's good good that they do this. The Mac version, I think, has baked in. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate. They do what's called Dilib sideloading, which is Dilibs are basically... Dynamic, li- dynamic libraries that Mac OS uses. It's the Mac version of DLL. So, yeah. So in those cases, they'll have to go after the C2 servers Correct. to shut that down. And I know they've made some progress on that one too, but um, I would say that, you know, the SolarWinds attack was really big. It hit a ton of customers. This one is far more contained, right? Mm. The attackers were in SolarWinds for a long period of time. This one seems to be a shorter time frame wise. And we'll have to see long term, but it looks like a little less exposure on this one. And it's 3CX. Yeah. Like, like SolarWinds was used in a lot more critical places yeah. than 3CX was. And Ars Technica published, they they had like a kind of an update on the situation, right? Where 3CX, the way they responded, it was like they knew that the app was flagged as malicious, but they didn't take action. But what they had cited was like um, the response from a customer service rep, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hate it when they do that. And, you know, like if, if there's a cybersecurity event going on, you need to get commentary from the CISO or from the third-party company they bring in to help, you know, a lot of people reach out and, and pull in Mandiant or somebody like that. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. get get a press release from them. But if you're just talking to random support Joe, yeah, what is that person? Someone know? close to the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And so that you know, the random customer support person is going to tell you things like, "Oh, uh, Sentinel One flagged this as a virus. You, you should reach out to Sentinel One." Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that they're trained to do. They're not trained to share actual information. So I, I hate yeah. to report on some of that stuff, but it is still a reality. Like they they knew about this for several days. Uh, it just took them a while to realize 
what was actually going on. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, as we say, I, we don't know how long uh, uh, the People's Republic of China, or not China, I guess, the, yeah, uh, North right Korea. next door, North Korea, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that? That's the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yes. Getting my countries correct. Um, who knows how long they were in there before right. they actually launched this attack. So it'll be interesting. I can't wait to see the after action. You know, I hadn't thought about that is... This is the attack that we're measuring with the seven-day window, but yeah. obviously they had to get in, formulate their packages, get the yeah. keys. Right. They, they could have been in there for a long time. How so long did they have a foothold before a, somebody realized? Yeah, a friend of mine uh, works in Southeast Asia as instant response and, and, and does all this uh, kind of thing, and he said that that specific, the Labyrinth Shalina mm-hmm. group that is a part of the Lazarus group, they are specifically tasked with espionage. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Oh. I always wonder about the order of this. Like, do they do they attack somebody like 3CX and then explore their customer list, or are they going after a particular customer? Right, because they know 3CX you know, is their it, vendor. W- which comes first, the chicken yeah. or the egg? And yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I am always curious about that. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. We'll probably never find that out. Yeah. But, yeah. But we may never know. Maybe. And I mean, like we were kind of talking about earlier, maybe this will come back up and we'll have more information at a later time and it'll appear in a Dejan news segment. Who knows? <laughs> Hard to predict when that's going to happen. Maybe this will be, hopefully it's not the new. At a minimum. Yeah. yeah. If you're using 3CX, you might want to update. Yeah. yeah <laughs> or maybe. D- maybe. uninstall and use the web. Right, that might, <laughs> might be a good yeah, idea. Yeah. Take, take it from Don. Maybe. Yeah. So before we sign off here, I do have a couple things I want to mention really quick. Technado is sponsored by ACI Learning, the people behind IT Pro. So if you're listening from the Technado website, look for that Sponsored by button, and you can click that to go to the IT Pro website. If you want to support the podcast, check out those courses. And there's a promo code, Technado30, that you can use to get 30% off of your or, uh, excuse me, your IT Pro membership. So definitely check that out. You can also check out ACI Learning's webinars and their live on social events. Those live uh, on YouTube and on all our socials, or uh, on ACI socials. So if you missed one, you can always go back and watch it later and uh actually so in our day jobs we we do we do provide some it training and education and things and uh we had a couple courses that have recently wrapped so chv12 wrapped uh last week so i know daniel was real excited about that because that was quite a beast of a course that should be up on aci learning site here in the next couple of weeks it's, i think it's being uploaded as they're completing episodes right they're kind of like as they finish editing episodes they're getting uploaded to the site or something like that uh and then we're excited to introduce some new modular courses. So it'll be skills-based type stuff. Um, you can watch just one course that's on a specific skill set if that's what you're interested in. Or if you're looking to get a certification or pass an exam, watch a set of those courses that combined will help you to study for that exam. So that'll be coming up here in the next month or so as well. Some more courses will be being uploaded. So keep an eye on the ACI Learning and IT Pro websites if you want to check those out as well. I think that's everything. I know I'm talking like an auctioneer. Uh, <laughs> if I missed anything, please let me know. I would hate to, to miss any developments. Um, but it sounds like sounds like I'm good. I think we're good. I, I covered everything. Wow. Okay. I should get a medal for that. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Technado, and we'll see you next week.